I don't know about you, but uh, have you noticed the uh, absolute proliferation of superhero movies at the moment? They're all over the place. Um, you've got the Green Lantern, Hellboy, Superman, Spider-Man, the Avengers, Thor, Batman, Captain America, the X-Men, Iron Man, the Incredibles. There's an incredible, no pun intended, <laughs> number of superhero movies out, out there, isn't there? A, uh, a guy called Dan DiDio is actually a, uh, a co-publisher um, for uh, DC Entertainment, which publishes the Batman and the Superman comics. He actually makes some interesting statements about uh, the difference between Batman and Superman. Here, uh, here's what he says. Batman is the ultimate policeman and Superman is the ultimate fireman. Superman is there to help people and save people. He's not passing judgment. He's not trying to push an agenda. When there are people in need, he's going to be there to help no matter who they are. Do you know what's really interesting about this comment that he, uh, Dan DiDio makes about Superman is if Superman was going to be a real help, he wouldn't just clean up the mess, but he would actually prevent the mess in the first place, wouldn't he? And it's an interesting quote because he's saying Superman's job is not to be judgmental, not to have an opinion about what will prevent a mess, but just to clean up, which doesn't really fit with most of your workplaces. If you go to work, you've got a who-say there, workplace health and safety officer, what's their job? Prevent accidents, right? That's their job. So they're kind of going further than Superman, which is weird. Some of them think they're Superman. You know what I'm talking about. But isn't that interesting? And I wonder whether you've ever thought about why we're so fascinated with superhero movies. I, I guess ever since the inception of Superman in the early 1900s, there's been a little, quite a fascination uh, of, uh, of humans with, uh, and people with, uh, with superheroes. Uh, David Wright, a, a journo for ABC News in America, wrote this really interesting article back in June this year um, on why we're so fascinated with superhero movies. Here's an excerpt out of his article. So, this is what he says. Note, note this. This is really interesting. Superheroes are the Greek gods of secular modern life. Isn't that interesting? I mean, he's straight away is nailing the fact that there's a spiritual orientation of people's fascination with, uh, with superheroes. There are otherworldly figures able to tackle the problems of this human world. There's an, another thing that I think he's, he's nailed pretty well. Like the gods of Greek mythology, they can be flawed. In fact, some argue that we need them to be flawed. Part of their appeal is that we can relate to them despite their being superhuman. So I hope you can notice here that there's actually a spiritual dimension of people's fascination with superheroes. And I actually think that uh, people's fascination with superhero actually reflects two things. It reflects our need and it reflects our anthropology. And that's what I want to talk about today is our need and our anthropology. Anthropology just being the origin of, uh, of humanity, where you came from and what you are made for. Let's kick off with our need. You see, I think one of the core reasons why we're so fascinated with superheroes is that we're in too deep. As a human race, we're in too deep. We're in way too deep to save ourselves. And I think we know it. You see, we've tried lots and lots of things. Uh, as humanity, we've tried lots of things. We, we've had government welfare. We've, uh, we, we say the problem is education, so we educate people more. Um, we, we try money. We try consumerism. We try uh, wealth. Communism we've tried. We try capitalism. We're in the middle of a project trying out individualism and that's not really working all that well for us either. I mean, you can just, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? But the really interesting thing is that humanity always seems to find a way to break a good system. The issue is actually not the system, the issue is actually humanity. 
I want to play a clip from uh, The Incredibles. This is the uh, opening clip from The Incredibles. Note this. This is on. That's fine. I mean, I can break through walls, I just can't... That's fine. You know, get this. <clears throat> so, Mr. Incredible, do you what? have a secret identity? Every superhero has a secret identity. I don't know a single one who doesn't. Who wants the pressure of being super all the time? Of course I have a secret identity. Can you see me in this at the, um, at the, at the supermarket? Come on. I'd want to go shopping as Elastigirl, you know what I mean? Super ladies, they're always trying to tell you their secret identity. Think it'll strengthen the relationship or something like that. I said, girl, I don't want to know about your mild-mannered alter ego or anything like that. I mean, you tell me you're a super mega ultra lightning babe, that's all right with me. I'm good. I'm good. No matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. I mean, sometimes I just want it to stay saved, you know, for a little bit. I feel like the maid. I just cleaned up this mess. Can we keep it clean for, for ten minutes? <laughs> you get the best point. Don't wait. Don't get, don't get up there. Not finished. Isn't that a great quote at the end there that Mr. Incredible says? He says, no matter how many times you save the world, it always manages to get back in jeopardy again. Sometimes I just want it to stay saved for a little bit. And to be honest, I think that's actually a cry of our hearts. It, it, it sits down in there. You just think, I just don't want things to get messed up again. And it's, it's an interesting uh, spin-off from uh, when humanity first turned against God, is God said that thing, good things will be thwarted and messed up all the time. And I seem to spend about 80% of my time at home fixing things, all right? Holes, I've got four sons, holes in plasterboard. Things are just, I mean, I'm concreting the other day and the concrete mixer breaks while I've got a full load of stuff in there I'm trying to mix up and stuff just breaks all the time. But even more than that, morally, we've got big problems, don't we? We have a society... That does well sometimes, but a lot of the time curves in on itself and breaks itself. And we know that it doesn't matter how many times we actually say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, every year brings a whole bunch of trouble and it brings a whole bunch of trouble because people bring trouble to it. True? And it's not always that people are bringing trouble to it, but you know, a lot of the time, I reckon well over half the time, we bring a lot of the trouble that happens to us. And a lot of trouble happens to us because of other people. But see, the thing is, it doesn't matter how many times you say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, every single year ends up being filled with trouble again. And some of you are going, well, this is Christmas Day, aren't we supposed to be optimistic? Well, Christmas Day is optimistic, right? But you've just got to have a look at the, the facts. And the facts are that wishing someone a Happy New Year is not going to make it a Happy New Year. The truth is, just like superheroes, we actually need something from outside of our system to break in and to sort things out. That's the whole gig with superhero movies is it's something coming in from outside the system to sort things out. Something superhuman. Something supernatural. Because you know what? We need saving. We need saving. Johnny Cash did a cover of a Nine Inch Nails song called Hurt. And uh, it's got a very melancholy tone, the song. In, uh, in one part of the song he sings this. He says, What have I become? my sweetest friend. Everyone I know goes away in the end. And you could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I'll make you hurt. And that, somehow, some of these songwriters, aren't they just able to, to really just connect with some of the deeper 
kind of experiences of humanity. But what's interesting about all this is some of you are probably sitting there and you're just going, I'm, I'm, I'm all right, Jack. I, I don't need saving. I don't need a saviour. I don't need your guy. I don't need your Jesus. And to be honest, and no offence to the men, you, if you're like that, you're a bit like Lois Lane in Superman Returns. There's this interesting... Uh, Lois Lane has written a, a journal article saying why the world doesn't need Superman. And then Superman shows up on a balcony with her one night and they have this conversation. And uh, this is the conversation. I read the article, Lois. Yeah, so did a lot of people. Tomorrow night they give me the Pulitzer. Why did you write it? How could you leave us like that? I moved on. So did the rest of us. That's why I wrote it. The world doesn't need a savior. And neither do I. Lois, will you come with me? Why? There's something I want to show you. said the reason you left without saying goodbye is because it was too unbearable for you. Personally, I think that's a little... Clark? This is the guy I work with. Maybe Clark's right. You know my aunt, Richard. He's a pilot. He takes me up all the time. I like this. says to her, what do you hear? She says, I hear nothing. And he says, I hear every day people crying out for a saviour. That's what I hear. And I'm here to tell you this morning, you need a saviour. Every single person here needs a saviour. And 
I don't mean to offend you necessarily, but if you don't think you need a saviour, you, you need more help probably than someone who realises that they do. I mean, the truth is we all need help. Let me read a section out of Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. And before I do, I just want to tell you this. A really interesting thing about reading the Christmas story is people go, oh, that's a lovely story. But I'll just tell you something. The authors of Matthew and Luke who talk about the birth of Jesus were not writing fiction. They didn't think they were writing fiction. They wrote as eyewitnesses of things that actually happened. All right? So when you read stuff like this, you might just think, oh, that's a nice fictional story. But you disagree with Matthew and Luke when you do that. And the interesting thing about Matthew and Luke is both of them actually got slaughtered for being Christians and for writing what they wrote and believing what they believed. All right? Matthew got um, slaughtered with a halberd, which is a combination of a battle axe and a spear. And, uh, and Luke was put to death... Uh, apparently, uh, church history tells us he was, he was hung from an olive tree. Now, the really interesting thing about this is these guys are not just going to make up a nice fictional story and then go to their graves with it, are they? I mean, that's probably the definition of idiocy and stupidity, to go to the grave with something that you know is not true. Here's what Luke actually wrote in Luke 2. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Listen to this. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A saviour. This is like cataclysmic historically. Even if you're not a Christian and you don't believe that Jesus was the real deal, He's probably, I mean, it only just came out recently. Some dudes did a big research study on who was the most influential person in history, according to Wikipedia, all right? They probably spent their master's or doctoral time working, working on Wikipedia, which is bizarre for me. But anyway, they're on there. And you know who they worked out was the most influential character in the whole of history? Jesus, all right? Jesus. And there's no doubt he's had a massive impact on history. And I want to tell you this morning, this is what Christmas is all about. Something supernatural breaking in to save you and me. But it's not what we expect, is it? It's a baby in a manger. Yeah, it's a real human, someone we can identify with to be sure. But it's not just any human, is it? It's someone who's both human and supernatural at the same time. God himself has come in a little baby to save us. You see, it's not a myth like Batman and Superman. As I said before, the eyewitnesses were writing, in their view, they were writing truth, they were writing a historical account of what actually happened. They were writing history. And this is the first thing today, is that you and I both have a deep, deep need, and Christmas is about something from outside our system breaking in to save us. It reflects our fascination with superheroes, reflects our need. Number two, it reflects also our anthropology. St. Augustine, who uh, wrote centuries and centuries ago, he was the father of uh, the church, made, made this comment. He said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Here's the thing. Jesus is a neat fit for humans. You see, you and I were always made to be tight with Jesus, all right? 
It was always meant to be really tight. So it, it's a logical progression that if you and Jesus are made, like you're made to be tight with Jesus and then you leave him, you're going to be able to see evidence where, where there's things that are missing that aren't quite in order because you've been separated from one that you're made for. You know, if all you ever saw was like an electrical plug sitting on the ground and you never found a socket, you'd be going, this thing belongs in a socket somewhere. Is everyone with me? You've got to find the socket. And you just well, that's weird. How does that work? Well, if you find the socket, you'll know why it all works. You see, there's lots and lots of things in humanity that we can observe that show that people have this longing for Christ. I want to go right back to uh, a prophecy about 800 years before Jesus. This is not hearsay, pretty much. Every decent ancient historian will tell you that the book of Isaiah was written about eight centuries before Jesus came on the scene. And it has some of the most amazing prophecies about things that Jesus was going to be and do and even how he was going to die. Really interesting prophecy in uh, Isaiah 53 talks about Jesus being pierced, which is really interesting because that's what you do when you crucify someone on a cross. But back 800 years before Jesus, they hadn't really gotten into crucifixion at all at that point in time. It was the Persians that kind of got into it a few hundred years before Jesus. And so you got this guy, Isaiah, who happens to know all this stuff 800 years before Jesus comes on the scene. And I reckon that's, I mean, that's only part of it, but that's part of the evidence that God's actually inspired the Bible because these guys knew stuff that they shouldn't have known. In uh, chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah writes this. And I want us just to, to stop on this one for a little bit. Speaking directly of Jesus. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty Father, sorry, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Do you notice right in the middle of that verse, it says, and his name shall be called. When Isaiah wrote this, you know what someone's name meant? That someone's name declared what the person was like. That's what their name meant. So as soon as Isaiah starts unfolding these names of Jesus, he's actually unfolding what Jesus was going to be like. So I want to note a couple of things with you about our anthropology uh, as we go through here. Just as an introductory comment, this is a really interesting statement that Isaiah makes at the start of this verse. He says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now what's really interesting about this the son is not born. Some of you might go, well, what's the point of that? Well, let me tell you what the point of that is. Jesus was pre-existent prior to him coming as a baby. He didn't start existing when he was born. He always existed. So if you actually look at this phrase here, what you're actually looking at is the child's born, but the son's given. The son's given in the child. So the child started existing in terms of the humanity of the child, but the the son always pre-existed. He's always been around. And this is good news for me because as a bloke, I kind of get to Christmas and I kind of think, oh, I'm going to bow down and worship this baby. It just seems a little bit weird. But inside of this baby is this pre-existent son of God who's existed from ancient days, from ancient days. And the good news about this, if you just notice that, that phrase there, is that Remember David Wright said in his quote that we like superheroes to be a little bit like us because it connects with us. But the interesting thing David Wright said is he said the good thing about superheroes is that they're flawed like us. 
Well, Jesus came down, and I'll give you some good news. He wasn't flawed like us, but he was a little bit like us. Or more accurately, we're a little bit like him. This is a signal of our longing for Christ. We long for someone to come and help us. He's a little bit like us, but yet strong enough and different enough that they can actually save us. There's another prophecy about Jesus in Micah 5 verse 2. This is a beautiful one and I'll get you to say one of these names 15 times quickly because it's a bit of a tongue twister. But check this out. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, do you want to try that? No. Listen to this. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Listen to this. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Jesus didn't start existing when he was born. He was from of old. And you know what? That's really good news because old people, most of the time, really wise people, right? They know lots of stuff. They're good people to have around. Here's the second bit of that scripture. Did you notice there? talked about the fact that Jesus was a wonderful counsellor. A wonderful counsellor. You've been made to have access regularly to a wonderful counsellor. I mean, we don't have time to do it this morning. Some of you may not know, I'm actually a registered counsellor. The helping professions of counselling, psychology and psychiatry are just blowing out in our society. There's more and more people seeking therapy, probably every day. It's, uh, I remember reading a... Um, an online article, I can't remember exactly where it was from, a news article about how much psychology and counselling has blown out in terms of the numbers of psychologists and counsellors over the last 30 years. It's like amazing. It's like 30 times. We've got 30 times the number, something like that. It's just an incredible difference that we've had over the last 30 years. And you know, well, let me ask you this. You see... What this scripture is talking about is that Jesus, when it says counsellor, you know what it's talking about? It's talking about wisdom. And people go to a a counsellor, they go to a psychologist because they need wisdom and they need help to work out the troubles that they've got in their own life. And maybe some of you are visiting a psychologist or a counsellor to get help and to get wisdom for the stuff that you struggle with. So let me ask you this question. How much does our society need a wonderful counsellor? Don't we? Yeah, if, if you look at... I had a bit of a look in the context here and the word wonderful. You know, you know what? It, it, it's got the connotation of supernatural. And, you know, I'm working with three people at the moment professionally as a counsellor. And you know what? There's some stuff. There's a lot of stuff with humans is not going to get worked out unless there's some kind of supernatural wisdom that comes in. And we all need that. We all need supernatural wisdom. If you're a Christian, you follow Jesus, you know you get up in the morning or you do it in the afternoon or sometime through the day, you know you need a steady diet of wisdom from God's Word to help you to live. Because that's, how, that's just how you're made to be. Some of you might go, well, Christians are just weak. Well, yeah, but everyone's weak. All right? And everyone was made anthropologically to actually get a steady diet of God's Word, a steady diet of supernatural wisdom. Here's another uh, scripture out of Isaiah 11 about the wisdom of Jesus. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You can just see that Jesus is exuding wisdom and help 
and good counsel. And some of you today, I would hope that some of you today would be able to recognise it in yourself. You've just got this hunger inside of you where you're going, I need good wisdom. I need good counsel. I need help. Well, you can get it from people, but the best wisdom and the deepest wisdom and the wisdom that untangles the spaghetti the best and the fishing line, the tangled fishing line of your life the best is the supernatural wisdom that God brings. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, Matthew, uh, the writer of the Gospel of Jesus, um, makes this comment. He, he, he quotes uh, a prophecy about Jesus. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, talking about Jesus, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor anyone hear his voice in the streets. And then note this, listen to the tenderness of this. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not quench. Isn't that tender? I mean, I, I don't know how you've gone, but I, there's times in my life where I've been, I've just felt like a smouldering wick, and it's like the slightest puff of air would just snuff me out. And it's at that point in time you just need a wonderful counsellor, don't you? You need one, a wonderful counsellor who can be firm, but who knows when to be tender and can handle you exactly the way that you need to be handled. One thing that spins me out, I'm a teacher in the school here, one thing that spins me out is the incredible variety of personalities that people have. And you just need to know, I mean, we've got about 650 students in the school here where I work, and um, we're probably, we've got 650 different personalities. And probably 650 times, probably every half an hour, where that, someone could be a smouldering wick or a bruised reed. And you know, the skill of God is such as a counsellor that he can actually deal with you precisely the way that you need to be dealt with at precisely the right time. And he will never snuff you out. He will never break you off. I mean, classic thing that happens with children and, and uh, teenagers sometimes, they see something broken and they just think, well, I might as well break it the whole way and they'll rip it right off or, or tear it or whatever it is. God doesn't do that. He just he sees someone, a smouldering wick, a bruised reed, and he's tender and he's a counsellor and he brings wisdom. And this is his qualification for being king. He's a good counsellor according to Isaiah. He brings supernatural wisdom. You see, the interesting thing about humanity is the further and further we get, this is one of my observations, is the further and further we get away from the truth, the more complex our ethical decisions get. And, and one of my thoughts, which I've had for a while, is uh, if you get the first ethical decision wrong, the subsequent ones get more and more complex. And to be honest, I think we're in a world where we've probably got the first ethical decision wrong a bunch of times, and we're in the midst of incredibly complex territory in terms of working out ethics and morals and that kind of stuff. And it's a, it's, it's a really, really fascinating thing. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. Name number two that, that Jesus gets given is this one. Mighty God. I was reading a Facebook post by someone yesterday. Yeah, I get on Facebook every now and then. And uh, a fella... Uh, wrote on there, he spoke of someone else uh, who he sent his post to being his wingman. You know, and I, I've had a guy in the uh, church here come to church in the morning, he'd come up to me and he'd say, I got your back, mate. You know, and that's the thing, isn't it? We, we actually, there's a sense in all of us that we just need someone to have our back. We need someone to be looking over us. But you know what? You know what we really need is we need someone to look over us who loves us and who's strong. 
You see, someone could love you, but if they're not strong, they're useless, right? I don't know, that's probably a bit rude. But you get what I'm saying? If someone loves you, but they can't do anything when you're in trouble, you just go, well, that's a nice thought, but right now the thought does not count, all right? Because I need, I need some action. But the flip side is a problem too. So if someone's strong, but they're not loving, they're useless too. True? Because they're just going to work it over or they're just going to be capricious and just get up one morning and they'll just be in a mood and they'll just go, ah, stuff Peter today, we're just going to ignore him and when he prays to me and talks to me, I'm not going to help him. Well, here's the thing. God's both loving and mighty. That's what Isaiah 9 verse 6 says, that Jesus is mighty God. So in those moments where you need the rescue, which should be probably every 10 seconds maybe, he's strong enough, he's mighty enough, and he's loving enough that he's actually going to come in and he's going to help you. Now listen, some of you go, well, I asked him to help me one time and he didn't. Well, he did. He just didn't do it the way that you wanted him to. He always helps. He's always involved. He's always up to something. Whether it ends up badly in your eyes and not what you actually wanted, whether it ends up perfectly, he's always up to something. He is a mighty God. And then this one. We've got wonderful counsellor, mighty God. Isn't our culture in need of this one? Everlasting Father. You see, you were made to have an everlasting Father. I was talking to someone from the project about a week ago. And they just expressed just the intense feeling of loneliness that they get and how they can come to church and they can be around all these people that they know and all their friends, but there can be this intense sense of loneliness. And you know what? There's not one of us here that were made to be alone. You, you were made to have this everlasting father. Right? We have an absolute epidemic of bad fathers out there, don't we? Now, maybe we've got a bunch of good ones in here and th- there are lots of good ones. But, geez, there's a lot of absent ones, isn't there? They're not even there. Or the ones that are there, but they're missing and they go home and maybe they work all the time and their kids are just kind of going, well, I'd love to just have 10 minutes with Dad, but he just doesn't have the time for me. And then you've got the ones that are abusive, verbally abusive. Some of the things I've had, I've had reported to me that, that fathers have said to, uh, to children, it's just, it's just brutal. People are going to take that to their grave. I mean, even if they deal with it and they work through it, They're going to take to their grave this scar and this hurt that their dads have caused. Because the bottom line is this, folks. No dad gets to the level that God gets to in being a dad. All right? You can be the best dad. And I'd encourage you, be a really good dad. Be present with your kids today. Don't find something else to do. Be with them. All right? I said uh, said to Matt Gary, I was talking with him yesterday, you know, in terms of the amount of times that the amount of time that dads give to their kids, kids are like a sponge, aren't they? That never ever gets full from their dad hanging out with them. It just never does, you know. It's like my sons have never ever said to me, "Dad, I've had enough time with you. Can you just back off and give me a bit of space?" <laughs> right? There's always one of them just going, "Can you come and do some stuff over here with me?" You know. And here's the thing: I do my best, but I don't even get close to what God's like as a dad. And he's everlasting, right? He's never going to give up. He's never going to get frustrated. He's never going to fly off the handle and get angry. He's going to be patient and he's always going to be there. And he's always going to love you. And you know what? You don't have to 
be scared about whether your performance earns enough love for him. Because there's a lot of dads like that, right? You've got to be good enough for him. And if you're not good enough for them, they don't love you that much. Or at least they don't express it. They might say they do, but they don't express the, the love that they have for you unless you're actually doing really well and they're really proud of you. You know, God is going to stick with you and he's an everlasting father and he just wants to be tight with you all of the time, irrespective of your performance. Which is good news. True? Yeah, absolutely, because our performance is patchy. All right, now you might look at, Maybe if, you, if you're not a Christian, you look at... Sometimes I hear people who aren't Christians look at Christians and go, oh, I couldn't be as good as them. Well, you know what? Their performance is ordinary too, right? Let's just be straight and let's be across the board here and say all of our performance is ordinary and our only hope is that we'd have an everlasting Father that doesn't rely upon performance to love people. All right? That's, a, that, that's where it's at. And Jesus comes expressing this fatherhood of God in a world that needed it back then. But man, I think maybe even we need it even more. With the amount of family breakdown, I mean, I heard a stat years ago that um, I think it was about 80% of kids after five years after a marriage breakup never see their, their dad again. 80%. And man, well, they need an everlasting father. You know what? Even when they had their dad, and maybe even when their dad was a good dad, they still needed an everlasting father because they were always made to have an everlasting father. Always. You see, God being an everlasting father speaks of his concern, his care, and his discipline. Now, some of you go, oh, his discipline. But discipline's good, right? Jesus says this, Matthew 7, 9 to 11. He says, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. See, this is a really critical thing about fatherhood, isn't it? The kids need to be able to trust their dad. That he's not going to play a trick on them. I still remember tricks that my dad played on me. All right? He didn't play too many. One of them, he told me the shed blew over in the night, in the middle of the night. And I was just going, what the? Not even knowing it was April 1st. All right? And Jesus is saying, look, as a general rule, a good dad on earth doesn't play tricks. He doesn't offer something, then take it away, or offer something and give something else. He doesn't do the old switch, the bait and switch. Then he says this. Sorry, he says, Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's, Jesus is kind of going, pick the best dad and God's better as a dad. Pick the best one. The best dads know not to give their son a snake when he asks for a piece of fish. All right? That's pretty straightforward. They know not to give a stone when the son or the daughter asks for some bread. He says, pick the best one. He's better. He's better. So God's not a quitter. He's not an abuser and he's not uncaring. He'll never go away. His love is not contingent upon performance. He'll never give up on you. He'll never say that you're a joke or you're a waste of space. And here's where we finish. The last one. The last one. Uh, it's wonderful, counsellor, mighty God, 
Everlasting Father. And the last one is Prince of Peace. I don't know whether you can transition that or not, but... No, no, it's all right. It's all right. Sorry, I've confused myself. The last one's this. You've been made to have a Prince of Peace. Now, in the Old Testament, the name Prince, you know what it actually meant? It meant Administrator. Now, you think about that, right? You think about, do you think our world needs someone to administrate peace? Who's who's got that job? You know? I mean, the UN would like to think they've got it, right? But they're pretty lame most of the time. And it's not because they're not trying. I think they're trying, and I don't mean to be uncharitable toward them, but it's not because they're not trying. It's just complicated. And peace is a very, very difficult thing to bring about on earth. But you think about it, you think, if you have Jesus, I mean, that's the cry of the human heart, isn't it? That we just long for peace. I mean, people talk about the fact, I'm just going to get home and I'm going to sit down and I'm going to have a cold beer. You know what that is? That's peace. That's what it is. People just want peace. Now, I'm not telling you all to go home and drink beer, but you know what I'm talking about, right? People want peace. Let me tell you what peace is. In the context of Isaiah 9 verse 6, peace is personal fulfilment. Think about that. Someone who's personally fulfilled is at peace. It's well-being. I mean, just reflect back on, you know, when people say, how are you doing? I mean, how many times have you said something like, I'm doing really well? You know, I hope you say it lots, you know, but you have seasons in your life where you just go, well, I'm just not doing that well and I'm really struggling. You know what? Jesus' gig is to administrate peace so that people can say, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Harmony. Harmony is a part of peace. Peace with God. You see, I don't know whether you've ever ever had it, but you know you can have fights with people and you can just kind of... I think mostly it happens to men, right? They get married... And they walk in and it's like their wife is just dark as, right? Dark as the ace of spades about something, right? They've got their frown on or whatever it is. They're giving the cold shoulder, that kind of thing. And it's like the dude's just going, oh, I've got no idea what I've done. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like all of a sudden it becomes some kind of weird TV game show where the dude's got to try and work out what he's done wrong because if she's got to tell him, it doesn't count, all right? <laughs> you with me? That's, that's kind of how it works. You know, and it's... It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly caustic thing to be in a relationship with someone else or a friendship with someone else where they're upset and angry with you and you don't know what it is. It just, it, it just, it's like a pestle and mortar. It just grinds you down, all right? Just grinds you down and grinds you down. And I'm here to tell you today that you and God have got a bit of an issue, right? Now, you might be here today and you might go, no, I think I'm all sweet, but you just need to know he's got an issue with you. All right? You just might be thinking, I'll just leave him alone and, and that'll be cool. He's got an issue with you. All right? But the good news is this, all right? that he sent Jesus, that he brought Christmas to bear on this world so that there could be someone who can bring about peace between God and us. And you get peace there. If you, if you don't follow Jesus and you haven't accessed the peace through Jesus, you get peace there and it's going to permeate right through your life. That's kind of your starting point of peace. So I want to finish with two quotes. 
Can you go to the last slide? It won't work. Okay, I'm going to do it from memory because I haven't got it on my sheet here. This was a late change. What's the first verse of A Little Town of Bethlehem? A little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie above thy and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark street shineth the everlasting light. The hopes, listen to this last line, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. It's true, isn't it? See, this is Jesus. It's true. And look at this. This is from C.S. Lewis out of Mere Christianity. It's a very similar idea. He says this, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. And I might just tweak Lewis's quote a little bit. Let me read it again and I'll tweak it. If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for someone from another world. I'm going to pray and uh, we'll finish. Jesus, thanks for becoming small for us. Thanks that you came down with the express purpose. One of the first things said about you is that a saviour has been born. Someone has come to help. Someone's come from outside our system to break in on it and to help those who are stuck in trouble. Someone's come who's mighty. Someone's come who's tender, who's a wonderful counsellor. Someone's come to administrate peace, to administrate. So now, God, because of Christmas every year, there is hope for the next year that there might be some peace because there's someone who's broken in from outside the system to bring about and to administrate peace. And you're a dad, you're the best dad. You're the everlasting dad. You're the dad that never moves, is never going to give up and never be abusive. And so, God, we just honour you today, the day that we remember you coming and starting to live and to walk amongst us. And so it was at that point that loneliness got banished because, Emmanuel, you came, you're Emmanuel, God, with us. And you never gave up on us. You never gave us the flick. You never flew off the handle and said, I've had enough. But you instituted a plan to come and to save and to help and to rescue. So God, thank you so much that you've done that. I pray for everyone here today that they just have a great Christmas day. They just have lots of fun with family and friends. They'd enjoy the relationships that you've given to us all. And that we think about you today and honour you and worship you. Amen.